0: for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of the Health Hero show. Today in the house, I've got Dr. David Meyer. I'm really excited to have this guy on today because I am a formal baseball player. For 30 years I've been I've been, I played baseball on a pretty high level. And David, um, he also played baseball at a high level, and now he's man. He's got he's a former Major League baseball rehab and medical coordinator. He's author of the Injured to Elite um, book and the host of the Injured to Elite podcast. And today, what I'm really excited about is because David wasn't just focusing on the mechanics and the nutrition and all this other stuff that athletes do to you know to get the advantage but he started really focusing on the mental component the mental that that getting that 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 space between your two ears right and what it's done for for him and, and his clients has been remarkable so david thanks for having on today brother
1: tim it's great to be here man i love what you're doing with your show and you know how you talk about living a natural life well let me tell you something in the in the physical therapy world in the medical world that's exactly what we all need right now
0: Yep, yeah, it's kind of missing over there in a lot of a lot of places, right?
1: There's too many anti-inflammatories that are being prescribed. There's too many surgeries that are that are happening as we speak and people are not giving themselves enough time to develop the mental strategies and skills that I've seen with my own two eyes that can empower individuals to overcome all types of physical challenges. And I saw that in Major League baseball. I've seen that working with general population and I just I really want to just put this message out there that it starts in the mind,
0: right? Yeah, it really does. So let's do this. I want this segment to get into like your backstory, even go back to your baseball days and like do that. And then lead us up to where, how'd you get here today and how you're helping people?
1: Ah, uh, back to my baseball days. You remember the first time you got hit with a pitch? I remember when I got hit, hit by a pitch when I was like, I think I was between the ages of seven and 10. And, and for a while I wouldn't go back out there and my parent, my father was a diehard sports fan. And I remember I, I got the, hel- the the shield and it's funny overcoming fear, right? I got back in there with the shield. And then eventually I went on to keep playing because I just love the game, but, uh, dialing it back, grew up in New York, diehard sports fan, father, Dean Meyer. He was what I call a baseball genius. We grew up very sad Mets, Jets, Islanders, and Nets fans. <laughs> and growing up, you know, in, I was born in 85, 86 the Mets win the World Series. My I still have that ticket my father went to and my father was unfortunately diagnosed with kidney disease when he was a kid himself from strep throat and he had his first transplant at the age of 17 from his his mother my grandmother Pearl Meyer lasted 27 years. And this is back in the uh, this 50s and then into the 70s, so or in the 70s when he had the transplant, so pretty incredible. And then his kidney failed again as I was growing up, and I saw him on dialysis. And really, our love for sports together was really our way of kind of overcoming struggle and challenges. And we identified with the movie Rudy and the Rocky movies and all that type of thing. And I knew that I was going to just go this path into healthcare, and I knew that I wanted to help empower others because. I'm a surviving twin. My brother didn't make it after the last trimester. And so I was born into this world as an only child. And I knew, I just knew in the bottom of my heart that my calling at a young age was to help improve this experience called life for other people. And it really started with my own little humble upbringing up beginnings of being a short athlete myself, five foot Mm. five. And you're not given all the looks you want playing baseball growing up. And I just. Had to grit my way out there. And I, by, by the skin of my teeth, I got to play college baseball junior college after graduating with my undergraduate degree. And then eventually uh, playing junior college baseball with a bachelor's just because I needed to retake a physics course to get into PT school, but just rewinding back a little further before that in 2006, I'm in SUNY Albany getting my degree in psychology and, My father was getting really sick, and he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Never smoked a day in his life, but as you might know from a kidney transplant, you have to take immunosuppressive therapy to decrease the the possibility of a rejection, and it really kills your system. Unfortunately, it manifested into cancer for him, and he got super sick while I was a senior in college. And At that same time, the New York Mets were playing the St. Louis Cardinals. In the National League Championship Series, the Mets finally were were doing great that year, and that was the it was going to be the year. And so, in that year, in October, the Cardinals beat the Mets, and I'll never forget Adam Wainwright struck out Carlos Beltran with Yadier Molina it was like a three pitch sequence, and he struck out on like a third strike uh, called looking. And I was so upset. I took my dorm room chair and I chucked it. And it was my fi- it was finally my chance after they won in '86. Well, my father told me after that the Mets weren't going to be the same for quite a while, and unfortunately, my life wasn't going to be the same ever because my father passed away in Thanksgiving of two thousand and six. So I had a double whammy of losing the Mets in the NLCS and losing my father, my hero. Mm-hmm. I vowed to my family that Thanksgiving in a huddle, as an only child with my cousins and my my aunts and my mother, I said I'm going to do whatever I can to just take my career to where I've dreamt of it being and, I was learning disabled. I was given a, a speech impairment. Uh, I had an IEP, an individualized education program, because I sat on my desk in second grade because I was a daydreamer.
0: Can you explain that to people, what IEP means for the person? Sure.
1: Yeah, so back in the day, in the 80s and the 90s, they, they started doing a lot of testing on the youngins. And I was one of those kids because I was a non-traditional learner. So an individualized education program is essentially – not necessarily full out special ed, but it is some form of a specialized education program for that student where they might have ex- additional resources like what we call in the East Coast back then, resource room, or I was in speech and resource room, and some some testing accommodations and things of that nature. And funny enough, in high school, I told them, get rid of this. I don't want the help. And that was always my Rudy mentality of I wanted to kind of feel the, I wanted to feel the the hurt. Uh, and, and I didn't want to feel like I was given any kind of special treatment. And so while I was going through this thing with losing my father, I I knew that I wanted to either become a physician or work in, in a professional sport. And so I vowed to everybody I was going to do that. And that was in 2006. So finally I get into NYU's doctor of physical therapy program. And I go on this journey of seeking out mentors and asking them, Hey, how do I work in sports? And they're all like, uh, yeah, maybe you talk to the agents. Like nobody knew back in the 20, 2009, 2010, like PTs weren't even really working in, in, in sports that often. It was like really rare and a lot's changed as we all know in the last decade or two. And so nine years after I lost my father, the St. Louis Cardinals out of all teams call me up, interview me and hire me that same team that beat the Mets. So it's quite incredible, you know. I do believe in some some things outside of of Western science. I I do have a, a very heavy spiritual emphasis in my life, um, not necessarily organized religion. So it's it's a cathartic experience I went through getting hired by this team, the the Yankees of the National League, and a team I didn't really care much for, to be quite honest with you, before I w- I was hired by them. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really, uh, the, 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 the humble beginnings dream story, getting to work there and then hired by Gary LaRock, the farm director of the Cardinals and the first, you know, the first day he tells me, Dave, we're going to expand your job duties. And I'm like, what does that mean? Well, it, it essentially what it meant was I was going to become the bus driver, the lunch attendant, the school nurse, the school gym teacher, and, and this and all the above. And I was shell shocked. I had no idea what I was in for. Because really, professional sports is dominated by athletic trainers and, and and strength coaches and coaches. And I was this medical guy there, and I was just trying to find my way. So it was uh, it was a humbling experience, but I I found my footing, and I was out there throwing with the ball players every day, which was literally a dream come true. And um, shortly thereafter, I realized coming back down to my roots of psychology and realizing that these players faced immense identity crises when they were hurt because their lives up until that point, the average lifespan of a pro ball player is two to three years. Most people think that it's some amazing experience. A minor league ball player is making probably 15 grand and their chances of making it to the big leagues are are minuscule. And after that, unlike us that luckily didn't make it to the minor leagues, we have some type of plan set in place of, of, of a profession. They don't oftentimes it's either become a coach or well, figure it out. And that figuring it out process while they're in limbo and hurt, they ended up in the training room with me. And that's when I realized it wasn't the Tommy John surgery or the, the, the cortisone injections or the anti-inflammatory or the, 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 the Bengay rubs or the heat packs, the ice packs. It wasn't any of that. It was simply having a conversation with this young individual that is trying to find their way as a human being, let alone a baseball player. And so it was really interesting how here I am in my dream, myself kind of rediscovering my own identity, helping these individuals rediscover theirs and really start to depart from the traditional physical therapist I was taught to be and to become who now I've, I I set out to, to, to really become as this more of a coach, more of a guide. And so that's, that's really, uh, and that was in 2015, my first year with the Cards.
0: Yeah, I I can totally relate to that because when people when you're playing baseball, like you're literally, if you're into it, you're living it, and you're breathing it. Like you know, somebody who's really into baseball, like like I was or like you were, practice was over, and then when practice was over, you were probably in the weight room yourself training, right? Or Everybody would leave, and we would go down and play long toss to strengthen our arms on the football field. Or we would go to the cages, and we would take more hacks. Or we would go if it was raining or snowing, we'd be inside of the cages upstairs, hitting off a tee, throwing to each other. It was like always working, filming ourselves, looking at the mechanics. And then you then you'd go make a protein shake because you're trying to get bigger and stronger. And then and then you're you're playing uh, you know a baseball computer game. You know it's just like it's, it's then, life. RBI, I remember Nintendo. I'm a little bit newer, younger than you at the old I
1: uh, no, no Mark McGuire, I, man.
0: You put him on Nintendo, he knocks him out of the stadium.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, when I if I meditate on some different thoughts sometimes, I'll never forget when I was you know, I was born in eighty five and we had a Nintendo and that RBI game, I hear that oh, what memories is my father playing that before all the fancy stuff. If I could play another baseball game again on a video game, I would choose that over the new stuff. That was amazing. Oh yeah,
0: it was good. Like, wasn't it? Was it Maguire that just it was him and then um, Reggie Jackson also? Man, his bat just touched it, <laughs> it was gone.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love about a, a quote that I heard? Uh, I think Denzel Washington with Reggie Jackson. Nobody talks about how many strikeouts he had. It's crazy. You think yeah. about it. He was a strikeout ball player, but you think about the power. And I think that's that's so true with life. We think about you know, nobody's talking about those strikeouts now, but during it, we think about every strikeout we have.
0: And, oh yeah. You know? That, oh yeah. I got off on a tangent, but that's my point. Like when you're living and breathing this and all of a sudden you're in a slump, it's like your whole world is coming crashing in on you. It and really then, is. then anxiety gets there. And then uh, that's what, that's what throws people completely off their game. They need to be relaxed. They need to be confident because there's times like for me, I was always like in the beginning of the season, I'd, I'd start off slow, but by the end of the season, I'm freaking locked in. I was like, I couldn't wait to get up and hit, and I just knew that I was going to crush the ball, like complete confidence. And and it's that mental state, getting to that point, which it seems like that's what you observed watching all these young ball players through the minors and getting into the major leagues. Um, it was it's the the real battle is 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 between the ears, right, In the mind.
1: It absolutely is. And what I noticed after injury where there were these two pathways, two trajectories, either the play now, more often than not, the player's career was coming to an end after injury. That's mm-hmm. just the truth. A minor league ball player that got hurt. I, it was almost a kiss of death and they knew it. They came into that training room and they realized that the grim reaper, David Meyer, or my boss was lurking mm-hmm. around saying, eh, how are we doing? It's all right. Let's get him back. And then let's get him home. And I I couldn't believe that was what my, my dream was to be the end of their career. My dream was to be the beginning of their career, to be the person that was going to help them get to that next level. And so I asked myself, all right, Dave, why are some of these players making it work? And some, and most of these players are not. And sure, there's a lot of outside factors that influenced it, but I realized there was something different in these players that were going on. And it's a growth mindset. It's what Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth and Marty Seligman with positive psychology. My my uh, colleague who actually was the, the pitching coach for the, the Mariners, Paul Davis, a few years ago, now he's with the Braves. He was in the big leagues with the Mariners. Paul, when I would talk about this concept of PSYCAP, positive psychological capital. And there were certain players that came into that training room that came in with just a better ability to cope with adversity. And then there were most of the players that dipped. They would go home and they would drink. They would do all the, they would have these maladaptive behaviors. And to be honest, it's kind of cool to be like that in baseball. Go drive your truck home, you know, go back to the the hotel, go put a nice fat dip in. And, you know, in a few hours, you're, you maybe, you know, you hang out with your buddies and you get a drink and, and just whatever. But the players that took the approach of, all right, I'm going to grow through this in all domains. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to change my training habits. I'm going to look into you know the speakers out there of the world that are going to help motivate me. The ones that came into the training room and they took ownership were the ones that made it. And I always realized the big leaguers that like they went, they sailed through rehab Like the Kershaws, you know, people like that when you think of them. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, they would come into the training room. They're like, all right, Dave, I need you to help me with this one thing. Just help stretch this out a little bit. Then I think I'm good. They knew exactly how to frame it and take ownership of it. They were driving that car. It wasn't like they were taking the backseat. A lot of the players that would come in there and be like, Dr. Dave, fix me. I knew that was a problem. I also knew it was a problem when I was out there playing catch with them and I was hurting their hand. And my head wasn't feeling too painful because I was somebody out there. I loved playing catch with the players. And so building their confidence up, I couldn't believe it. I had this stud athlete, this athlete that might've even signed a, con- a a bonus that was a lot of money and nobody was talking about confidence. They were just talking about toughness. It's not about the David Goggins mentality when you're a professional athlete. All athletes are tough. The athletes that are able to be in touch with their emotions, that's a difference maker, being able to disclose your emotions, being able to journal your emotions, record voice notes, go on podcasts and share your story. That is what I think it takes to really grow through adversity. Being a man in in baseball or being tough is not about living up to the stereotype that you, you have to just, you know, never feel anything. Being a, a woman or a man as an elite athlete means sharing your experiences, being able to be open. That for me is the key. And we have to get away from this whole pervasive mentality of I'm going to go in the gym and I'm just going to put on all this lean muscle mass and I'm going to hide behind my muscle. You ain't hiding behind that muscle because when you're on the field, when you're on the the hill, that muscle is not going to hide you from Mike Trout. You're still facing Mike Trout and in order for you to overcome that performance anxiety you're going to have to find a mindful moment within yourself you're going to have to use conscious breathing you're going to have to have some oneness in your life you're going to have to hope that everything you did leading up to that moment facing trout is all is all well and good but in that moment you got to be one with yourself that's my belief and i think that we yeah, have Yeah man
0: missed. i i i'm just thinking back to like my high school career like when I when I pitched in high school, I was six and zero in high school. Then we went on to Legion, and I ended up thirteen and one. So I was nineteen and one as a pitcher. We You're lost stuck. the last game in state, and I don't want to get into the whole long story. But my buddies, if they ever listen to this, and I, I was I'm pissed off at a couple of them. I, but I've let it go because they went off the Shrine football game because they got into the Shrine game and they skipped districts, and then they came back to state, and then like they are dropping balls and making errors, and it was just like, and I was pitching, I was pissed. So. But anyway, I went from, you know, 19 and one, I got the ball. I knew I was going to win. Nobody can hit me. Then I became a freshman in, in in college and I was like this little scared kid on the Hill. Oh my God. it was like all so overwhelming, but it was, it was still the same distance from the pitching mound to the plate. It was still 90 feet to the bases. What had changed? It was all between my ears. Totally. We're going to take a quick break and when we get right back, I want to, I want you to share some of these stories of the players that you saw in their struggles. We'll kind of lay that foundation So people can maybe relate to that. We'll be right back.
1: Humans only use 10% of the brain, and that can't change no matter how much we try. But you don't need to limit your body to the same standards. Bring your cells to 100% with Green 85 Juice Formula. Replace 85% of nutrients your body needs to function to the next level. Our chemical-free juice formula is 100% organic, contains no stimulants, and is made right here in the USA. Visit chemicalfreebody.com and get Green 85 shipped right to your door. chemicalfreebody.com
0: What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with my new buddy, Dr. David Meyer. And um, man, I'm excited about this episode because um, we're really focusing on the mental component. I'm totally relating. Like I have all these stories in my mind, me personally, that I've experienced and watching other people succeed and other people fail in sports, especially in baseball, which I was around for a long time. So, Dave, let's get around. Let's start talking about like you're working with these professional athletes now, the Major League Baseball players. Give me some stories of some guys that you saw that they had all the talent, they had everything, but they fell apart and, you know, ended up getting the boot.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stories that come to mind and, of course, protecting the privacy of a lot of these players. But, you know, I'll give you some examples without giving names and and I'll try to be very aware of it. Take a player that you see in the big leagues right now. We'll just say, what ifs, and they might be real. They might not be real. players that are throwing very hard. Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll just leave it at that. We don't have to give a number, but very hard. Right. And you imagine they're, they're signed out of high school and they're coming now to, to, to be down there with the uh, you know, with the, with out of their spring training facility. And they're really a deer stuck in headlights they were throwing 92 miles an hour in their hometown at a high school and they were drinking, partying. They didn't have to do much to really uh, set themselves apart. And then all of a sudden everybody's throwing 92, 92. Wow. I heard you hit 95. Well, that can be pretty difficult to face when you were that stud. So what happens when you get there? Well, you're still in the high school. It was not easy to get there, but it was kind of easy. And so all of a sudden you got all these eyes on you from these coaches in the front office. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. You look like the president of the, of the, of the, the Cardinals, John Mozeliak. If you Google his name, he could be <laughs> Mo could be your, your, your brother, which is, which is really funny, but you know, you got all these people looking at you and then you got Dave Meyer and when your shoulder is hurting Dave Meyer here you're, you're in his office now. And you're like, who the hell is this guy? I'm with this PT guy. I was never hurt in high school. I was taking all, you know, I was, I was taking, you know, anti-inflammatories and I was good to go. And then you're in his training room and on his table and, oh, it's like pulling teeth. He's not listening to what I'm saying. And it's like, look, I've seen this before we have to take a moment and realize where we're at what worked in high school is not going to work in the in the minor leagues anymore so what happens is these players are shell shocked but really they get a little bit of a signing bonus so they go buy themselves a fancy truck they hide behind that they you know go back to their hometown they're the big man on campus mm-hmm. and and that's all well and great but then you get to a point a year or two into it where the money wore off. The truck wore off. All the good stuff wore off. And everyone's like, "So, what level yet?" Well, I'm still in I'm getting out of rookie ball. All right. Well, if it's two or 3 years and you're not at a rookie ball, then that's a serious problem, especially if if you had a lot going for you. So at some point, they look for what they need to change. Some players turn to training training differently. Some players finally start learning about their body. Some players change their diet. Some players finally understand the element of the mental side. Now we have mental performance coaches in professional baseball, but a a lot of the players don't feel like they have somebody that they can truly trust in the team setting. So I've seen a lot of things happen there. One of the most vivid stories I'll never forget is we had a player sitting on a training room table and his legs were crossed and he's sitting there. And I consider myself an intuitive empath. And I'm feeling something's off for this young man. And instead of me saying, "Hey, let's go in the office and chat," I kind of just made a joke and made light of it. I had 15 other players all around the training room on theraband exercises in the gym, lifting weights on the field, throwing, and I was overwhelmed myself. And so instead of me just saying, "Hey, dude, let's go in the training room, let's chat, let's chat," I missed this opportunity. And then six months later, after this player transitioned out of of the rehab group, I found out one day when we came in that a player attempted suicide, thank God, unsuccessfully. Mm. And I was really bummed out, Tim, because I consider myself somebody that can pick up on these things. And I almost, I really did, but I didn't act on it. And I talk a lot about asking. These players don't really necessarily feel like they're always able to speak freely about, it's like in the military, in, in a sports setting, in academics, corporate world. We don't feel like we can just go to our boss and be like, Hey, I'm really, I'm depressed. Me and my wife aren't getting along too well. Or like, you know, you tell your buddy, but like, can you tell your superior that? And a lot of times that's the person that needs to know because we need to help you through this process. And that's and people, when and
0: they're embarrassed too. It's just like you said, it's like the military. They, they're embarrassed. Like, I don't want to tell anybody. Uh, you know, I want to be tough.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, what's this thing growing on me or something? You don't want to tell anybody, but you know, eventually it gets to the point where it gets into your psyche and it's, it's going to affect your performance. And then you start seeing the dwindling. And a lot of times I think we sat in the dugout, we sat in the training room and we kind of judged, we were too judgy, you know, instead of judging them, why are they drinking so much? Why are they always dipping? Why are they doing this bad behavior, that bad behavior? Why are they so salty? We need to take it upon ourselves to have a nice conversation with that person pre-COVID, put our hand on their shoulder and be like, listen, what's going on? How can I help you? Can you, Why don't we chat? And if they say, listen, I, I don't want to talk to you about it, you got to respect. You got to give them space.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: have to give them some comfortable space. But it's all of our responsibility, whether we're a personal trainer, a coach, a physical therapist, a nutritionist, whatever we are. A mom, a, a dad.
0: Brother, a, sister, a parent, yeah, uncle, a aunt, family member, on, grandpa.
1: A, a teammate, any of those things, we really should first and foremost, our first line of treatment, ask, how are you doing? That's it. If a physician is not asking you how, by the way, if you're going in to see your MD, DO, uh, naturopath, whoever, I, I don't care if they're practicing Reiki or they're a surgeon. I really don't care. If they're not asking you, how are you doing, then they just failed the injured to elite method, if you want to call it that. The first step of of going from injured to elite, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, is getting in touch within. And if you're that clinician or coach or family member or parent, you have to help that person go within. Don't be afraid. Go into the tension. If you learn from a psychologist, psychologists will tell you, "Don't, don't go away from tension. Go into it with your client. Go into it with your friend. Ask them. Let that little heart rate thing where your heart starts to beat of I shouldn't ask this. No, 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 no. You should. Mm-hmm. Do it delicately. Do it tactfully. Do it Do it uh, safely. But go there. Have some chutzpah and go into the areas that that you're probably a little bit of afraid to go to. Yourself. Ask yourself first. And I think... If you had asked me what's the one problem in the world, I'm going to tell it to you right now. Our inner shadow. In our world that we live in, Carl Jung called it our inner self, the psychologist back in the late 1800s, this whole identity thing that we have. Well, I think none of us can be great in healthcare or in teaching or in sports or any of that if we're not in touch with ourselves and our own identity. And we have such a... dilemma right now where we have all these broken people out. We're all broken people that are not first turning it inward, becoming whole before we can really, or at the same time, simultaneously helping others. So it's like there's these inner shadows that are all just jamming up together. But the first thing to doing that is go within yourself and then help somebody else do the same thing. Go in the discomfort.
0: Yeah, man. It's like, it's a big topic and it's a big problem, and a lot of people aren't even aware of it. Um, they're just got their head down. You know, you could be in a relationship and be married for fifty years and not be happy. You know, it's it's like when you're born. Everybody knows this. Like when you're born, a baby is just pure love. Tabula rasa. Yeah, that's all they are—pure the love. But then the parents come in. We start chiseling away. If you're a boy, you wear blue. If you're a girl, you wear pink. If you're Jewish, you're a Jew. If you're a Christian, you did. And it's just like. Then all this societal, oh, and if get stiff upper lip, pick yourself up, boys don't cry, you know, and then it's all this stuff and all that, all, all of a sudden we start, the, the mom and dad grow this ego around us because, you know, babies are pretty much helpless, right? If you left a baby out in the wild, they're, they're done. So we have to like, they kind of have to be the center of the universe. And it's like, wham well, feed you, wow clean, clean, clean the diaper, right? So you become the center of the universe and that's where we develop our egos, and the egos don't serve us later in life. They, they serve us initially as a child, but eventually after about seven years old, we don't really need them anymore, right? But they stay there and they get bigger and that shell gets thicker and stronger. And we build up that that huge ego, that huge shell. And we don't know how to communicate. We don't even know who we are. We don't know how to love ourselves. And so it, and then it's hard to love other people. And then we can like confuse like the excitement of like a woman, or excitement of meeting a guy with with love and joy. That's excitement's just a temporary thing, right? Mm. So we have all this stuff going on, and it goes through our whole life. Nobody's teaching this stuff. Nobody's even telling us about it. So it's almost like we come out of the womb, we're pure love. The ego comes in because of the parents. And what I've learned is that we have to throw away our parents. Not physically throw them away or any of that stuff, but throw away all the crap that they've given us keep the stuff that they've given us that, that you like about him. Like maybe your dad, like mine was like, he, my dad's like Superman. Like he does not tell a lie. I'm like, literally yeah. he does not, he, he cannot lie. My about father. Us. He will not do it. He will just not do it. I mean, you know, I, I don't even think he does white lies. He just doesn't do it. He just tells you exactly what's going on. It's, it's white, yeah. it's white and black with him. It's like, there's no, it's, yeah. he has, a, he definitely has a line in the sand. I respect that. You know, he said yeah. never hit a woman you know there's these certain things do what you said you're going to do you're you're only as good as your word he told me he's like hey look when i'm dead and gone you can do whatever the hell you want but as long as i'm alive and you have our family name this is what's going to happen otherwise i'm coming after you you know it's like that's a little old school and everything maybe that's you know it's fun to talk about but but the reality is like there's some good points that we got from our parents but we have to also understand that our parents were also those babies born at one time and they were pure love and joy, but then their parents chiseled away and society chiseled away. So by letting go of our parents and all that conditioning and then and then giving them compassion, that's how you're going to heal yourself. You got to heal the relationship with mom and dad, the root, and then you can start healing yourself. And now you can be a person full of love and now your cup of love is overflowing and then you're going to attract somebody else who's doing the same. And then you decide, it's a, it, you, you want to pour your love into somebody and they pour your love into you. And it, it just becomes a third person. It grows into this beautiful, wonderful thing. And that's how, you know, love should be. And, you know, all this stuff, it actually works with everything. You want to be successful in business. You want to be successful in sports. You know, you want to hit 350. All these things, what we're talking about, it's like, it's that self-love component Getting rid of the societal conditioning, getting rid of the parents, as far as the the negative, the, the, the contrast they gave us, and, and giving them compassion and letting them know that they had to deal with the same thing we're dealing with, and so do their grandparents and great-grandparents. We are the ones that can break that chain and then and then and then live a life of by example uh, for our children to do the same thing. I think it's uh, I just think it's a really important point.
1: Uh, you're so right, Tim. Have you ever heard of the Hawaiian poem or prayer called Ho Pono Pono? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Go ahead and recite it.
1: Yeah, I will. My mentor taught me this and it's, I love you. And it's actually no particular So You could say in any order from how I was taught, but I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It's just those simple four things. And it could be of any order, depending on how you need to use it. But, and, and the reason why we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about a mental approach to rehabilitation, but we're talking about the inner shadows that we're dealing with. And, you know, the example you're talking about there, when I think about seeing the ball player on the TV and I, I see that guy and I'm like, oh yeah, he looks like a stud, right? He's out there, but I'm like, oh, I see a shadow because I, I work with them. So I see it. I know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got the, you got the Lamborghini. I know you're making the 50 million, like all cool, but I see that shadow still. I see it. And the reason why the the poem Ho'oponopono Pono is so important. It's like, all right, that ball player out there still has a chip on his shoulder. What is the, you know, there's probably a few moments that he's still using as fuel positively, but imagine, imagine the life you can live. If you start forgiving your parents, you start forgiving those people to be able to to separate and to be able to self-actualize and not just be, the 300 million dollar contract ball player but be this human being that plays this sport at a high level and does all these amazing other things that truly for me is being a legend you know and so I think for me by actively loving and sending it you know Ryan sheriff ball player that I, I, I one of my good friends who was with the Rays now in the show a few years ago when he was going through a dark time it was a silly thing we came up with. It was, I'll tell you do so you want his stories. So Sheriff was on the brink of quitting yet again. And I was like, sure, he had Tommy John. He had his elbow reconstructed. And you know, I was like, dude, you know, you're gonna get back up there. We just have to put some mental strategies. You know everything about your body. The guy's ripped. The guy's in amazing shape. He's a vegan, amazing, amazing. But I knew that his mentality needed to shift. And he started doing this thing. it was, it was kind of cool. He started sending love. He just started sending love. He was not always like, he wasn't always a big clubhouse guy. Like he wasn't always like, you know, he wasn't really that outspoken there. And he was kind of a loner, but all of a sudden he started changing it up. He started sending love, sending love, sending love. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at this guy and he, and nobody could touch the ball, the sinker and his slider were literally separating the plate. Like the range across the plate was unbelievable. He was sending love. He was sending love to the hit. He didn't even care. You know, like he was competitive, but like he was just, he was creating, you know, when we shift from a a competitive landscape to a creative landscape and we create that pitch and we create purpose and we send love while we're doing that creating and we tap into that co-creation, I'll get off my my soapbox there for a second. Oh, that's when the beauty happens. And I think that's the next level.
0: So what you're saying here is that basically he was tapping into the higher frequency of love. Yeah. And by raising his vibrational frequency, he was raising the vibrational frequency in his cells, and he totally. literally performed at a higher level. And that's why his sinker and his curves and slider started breaking more because his body was vibrating. He was able to do more with his
1: body. We're not doing it alone. We come from the universe, we come from something else. We're not doing this alone. If anybody, look, okay, the first thing after you're injured is realizing this you're not going through this process alone there are so many other factors outside of you that have led you there just you want to call it science you know I, I believe in metaphysics but you know if you want to call it science right all of these laws of the universe are part of this process for you and if you're going to deny energy outside of you, meaning what's energy outside of you? communicating with another human being, the touch of and Why does it feel good when somebody else touches you? Well, guess what? There's energy being exchanged. Maybe we don't understand it from a Western approach. Well, I can, and I can that- share
0: something with you really quick. I saw something a long time ago, I went to a yoga studio and the gal had to set stand in a circle. We all held hands and she had this device that had like a metal lead on one side and a metal lead on the other side and a little light bulb. And then when the, when the, we're all touching hands And then as soon as the other person touched it, the light bulb lit up like it from the frequency of everybody. So we made that connection. We completed that circuit. So we are literally people forget that we're literally light beings and that that might sound woo, -woo, but light energy. frequency. I mean, it boil it down to this. When you go to a heart doctor, they put you on an EKG. What is that? Beep. It's beep. it's measuring electrical frequency it's we're energy energy. we produce heat we're 98.6 degrees what produces heat a furnace and so does your body what does a furnace need energy it comes from electricity right where does your electricity come from yeah you point it to your brain your brain's copper you got the nervous system electric flows We're, we're mostly water which is a major conductor it's like we're electric factories we're energy factories our cells atoms they spin there's there's energy there And all of our cells have receptor sites that we—that's where the communication comes from. It's like, where does it all come from? It comes. We're like radios. We're antennas, right?
1: I'm gonna get Tim what you're saying exactly. You're preaching to the choir here, but I want to—I want to share the two things, two science marvels for everybody out there. Well, let's do this.
0: Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll get into these two science marvels. I can't wait. We'll be right back. You want the absolute best for yourself, and you want it to be easy. That's why we created Green 85. It helps with detoxifying the body gently. We're proud it's chemical-free, unlike almost all other supplements you'll find.
1: Bottom line, Green 85 will get you healthier. We look forward to hearing what Green 85 did for you.
0: To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with Dr. David Meyer. And now we're going to get into the two science marvels. Take it away, brother.
1: All right. So I want to share these two things that I've recently learned about myself. Number one was last this week. Mm-hmm. I want to just, I, I want to, do you know what we call phenomena? A phenomenon is something that's unexplained by Western science, okay? So in in our world, we practice alternative methods. We're very in tune with Eastern practices that have been around for ancient times but not explained in a Western model Mm -hmm. because Western science hasn't – or Western academia hasn't caught up to it. Here's something to think about. When you think that we have the world is flat figured out, which we know the world is not flat, we know modern science hasn't figured it out. Here's one thing to, to show you: it's dead in your tracks that you're, our system doesn't get it fully. They're discovering new molecules as we speak. They're discovering new forms of matter. This week, if you look in some of the journals and the physics, and the physicists are finally uncovering new discoveries in physics that are going to explain black matter and, and and all those crazy things right so this is like the biggest i think discovery in physics over the last several decades okay and it's been stale so yes we're still young in medicine 150 years come on our anti-inflammatory pills are what we're going to be taking in 300 years no i'm convinced we're going to be doing a lot more things on the mental side in a more structured approach. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, the whole, the whole adage. Okay. If you're somebody that's going through an injury or an illness, and you're wondering why can't my doctor figure it out? Think about this for a second. Conscious healing. What is that? What is conscious healing? And a few people talk about this. And I had this crazy out of kind of body experience thinking about this process during, during a few uh, moments, a few years ago. And I started thinking about this. What if we could consciously heal? Right. Right? I get a cut on my hand. The cut starts healing on its own. So my body does it intuitively. But wait a second. Can I consciously heal? Can I change my propensity to heal with the power of intention and thoughts? Okay, maybe. Listen to this. you're you're,
0: You're talking about Dr. Joe Dispenza stuff.
1: I, you know, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of these people. I know that they talk about it. I don't really know. I don't know their methods. This is just something I'm going to tell you the the, the world and the things that I know I've heard of Dr. Dispenza, but one of the, one of the people that came onto my show, Dr. Mark Hutchinson out of the university of Adelaide in Australia, he's a, he's a pain science researcher and he does a lot of research on the neural pathways of pain medication, narcotics. And the number one debilitator in the world is pain. Mm. chronic pain, back pain. Number one, I think it's above cancer. Okay. So when you think about this, why is that? Well, we used to talk about this whole idea of we use 10% of our brain. We realized that was hogwash. The 10% of our brain that they discovered in the seventies is the neurons. The 10% of our brain that's made up of these neurons we thought was the only, (laughs) that's it. We don't use the 90%. No. The other 90% of our brain is made up of something called our glial system, the supportive structures, our astrocytes and our glial cells, and all this other tissue. And we used to not really understand the interplay between that and pain and, 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 and the, inner, the, the conduit. And so what he found, Dr. Mark Hutchinson, based off of the work of some really amazing authors that my book is also inspired by, David Butler and Lerman Mosley wrote a book titled Explain Pain. And they were really the first to, to, to coin this thing called thought viruses, you know, like I'm never getting better. Mm-hmm. And they defined it. But the thing that was missing in Western science was what is the molecule? What is the, 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 the chemical thing that's happening? And Dr. Hutchinson discovered this thing called pattern recognition molecules. So literally in the glial system, our brain's immune system that we didn't realize it had there are these molecules that are, dis- that are the conduit between our thoughts and our prefrontal cortex, the rest of our brain, and biomarkers of immunity and health, inflammation maybe even. And so now when we're talking about the power of, of thought, well, guess what? There's now science emerging that is proving that there is a difference in your, your propensity to get sick based on your thoughts. So now it's not anymore just eastern, eastern, you know, philosophy. This is being put into Western science, p- empirical data. So now, when you're hurt, when you're sick, when you're ill, and you're not, and you're suffering from these negative thought viruses, because remember, a thought virus, a virus can sp- can can be good or bad. We could have good bacteria, bad bacteria, right? Well, I call them a negative thought virus. Like I'm never going to get better from this injury, this illness. Okay. Well, guess what? That's having an effect on your propensity to do so. Mm -hmm. You're only as healed as you believe you are because we don't get what we want. We get what we believe. But now think about this for a second. If you start utilizing what I call thought vaccines or positive affirmations, my ACL is strong. I am getting stronger each day. I am healing. My inflammation is decreasing. By reprogramming these thoughts, become habitual into your day. That is now being proven in Western science that this is a way to rehabilitate yourself. Instead of seeing 10 doctors to fix your problem, is that truly alternative health? Or is that just looking for different answers? What we're talking about today is the power of your thoughts and how that is the first step towards your own healing.
0: Yeah, it's a really powerful concept. I have so many things in my head that I want to talk about right now. But um, you're right. It all begins in the head. And you said earlier um, something that was really important. People have to take ownership of their health, the ownership to heal. The, these baseball players need to take ownership of where they're at, ownership of their body, ownership of their food, the inputs, ownership of drinking or not drinking, getting to bed on time or not getting to bed on time. And all these are basic principles that apply to the average, you know, the average guy or gal right? We have to take ownership for this and not like displace it over to somebody else just because they got an alphabet suit behind their name and they wear a white coat, right? And they say they're going to save you. They're going to protect you. Have you done any research on doctors? How come doctors have higher suicide rates than the rest of the population? Are you sure you want to take advice from them? Right? You know, there's nothing wrong with them. And I I always, I I never want to bash doctors, but the reality is, is most of them went to school to help people and they really wanted to, but it's the system that's screwed up. The system is is it's it has to up. it has to change. It's so, and it starts
1: with us. It's
0: so clear. I mean, look around. Three point three trillion spent on healthcare in the United States. We're ranked thirty eighth to forty second. Why we, we spend more on healthcare than anybody else, yet we're the sickest human beings have ever been on the face of the earth. Why would you want to go into that method or that 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 whole process? It,
1: it's broken. The, the and the reason it's broken, Tim, is because we've created this pervasive ideology. That because in America, we have su- we have a high standard of health, by the way. We don't have the best pe- clinicians in the world. Like There's some really good ones outside this country, by the way. But we have a high standard. You go into a hospital in Podunk Town, in Wisconsin, whatever, you're going to get some good health care compared to the world. However, it's broken. And I'm going to tell you why. It's the ideology. And our ideology is this, the magic red button. I'm going to get the red pill. I'm going to take said red pill and red pill is going to heal me. And you remove all ownership. And what you said earlier about parents, it starts with that. At some point, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. But you know, the real important question, not just socially and culturally, because we can't afford to wait for us to learn how to do it. How do we get into the driver's seat? How do we take ownership? The first step to taking ownership is acceptance. The first step, and you'd look at the 12-step program. If you look at anything, there's a lot of pearls in those things because it starts out by turning inward. Mm-hmm. You know, they call it like, uh, and I've never gone through it, but I've had a lot of close people in my life that have gone through it. There's this element to it where you just, you know, you, you surrender, right? Well, I talk about it as acceptance. And there's actually a psychological modality called acceptance commitment therapy. Ah, uh, by developed by Dr. Hayes, and it, and really, acceptance commitment therapy can be used for poor habits, behaviors, or for rehabilitation, which is something that I I'm going to be going on a a pretty big podcast pretty soon, talking about ACT. But you have to find a way to accept yourself. But you're not going to ever be able to accept yourself if you don't give a moment to acknowledge yourself. How do you acknowledge yourself? Well, here's where we go right into mindfulness. John Cabot in. I, I joke around, my mother was his first patient, you know, like the father of mindfulness. My mom is always like, I had his CDs back, back in the day. And, you know, so you have to find that inner calm to carry on, right? You have to find that calm. So the only way we're going to do that is take a moment as Andy Podicom with Headspace talks about or whoever my mentor, John Denny has an amazing guided meditation, the harmony exercise. You have to find a moment to find that inner calm for a second, you have to let yourself be. Letting yourself be is not enabling behaviors. And I think sometimes when I talk about this power of the word let people take it the wrong way, it's not letting yourself be addicted to drugs or, or, or letting yourself keep drinking, no. It's letting yourself feel the anxiety that's leading to the drinking, letting yourself be there for a second. But then after we acknowledge the state we're in, we, we take kind of, um, we audit ourselves. We then have to reprogram our thoughts. We have to reprogram these negative thoughts with good ones because if you just remove bad thoughts, idle time is time for the devil. So yeah. when you're in rehab and you're in the training room table and you're like, "All right, I'm not going to be hurt anymore," well, then you ask yourself, "What do you want in life? Not just as an athlete. What do you want? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be around?" An injury, I call it time zero. Affords you this amazing opportunity of redeveloping your life, reprogramming your thoughts, developing new habits, changing the whole experience. And it, it it's it's not an easy time. And look, injuries suck.
0: Or do they? Or do they? Like you said, it's a it's a it's a, it's an opportunity. Everything I learned this a long time ago. Everything in life is meaningless. It's only the meaning that you give it. Absolutely. I got this new workout thing. I was using it. I put on 11 pounds of muscle in four months. I wasn't even doing it right. It's these band workouts. um, I've seen the X3 bar. Nice. No injuries, like hardly any soreness at all. One set. I could do a workout in eight to 10 minutes and get triple the muscle growth. I added that into my program. Lots of guys were using it. All this stuff. I got a shoulder injury. I got two of them, but my left one was really bad. And I was pissed. Like I couldn't go to yoga because of COVID. And I was mad about that and this and that. And then, so I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. It's meaningless. This is an opportunity for me to do what? Something else. Maybe Define I, it. The universe is t- telling me to slow down, stop, look around. And so what? There's, there's gold there if you look. Always, if you look at something so quote negative, I look at it as contrast now and say, where's the benefit? Because there's always something mm. of equal value around. If you have something, quote unquote, negative, there's something of equal value for you and for your life if you just open your eyes and look around and be, have some awareness around it. It's always there. It's always there. We call
1: that psychological flexibility. And that—that's—that that is the term, that is the phrase. What you just demonstrated is you are a psychologically flexible human being. And that is the difference maker between the athlete that had the psychological flexibility that overcame the injury and the one that didn't. Having that ability to be flexible in your thoughts of maybe there's a benefit here and maybe I can grow through this, that's the gold and that's the how. And if you can, if other people can adapt that, this can be the episode. This can be the conversation that you just needed to hear to change your rotator cuff injury that you've had for 10 years. And you've seen every MD, you've seen every orthopedist, you've done PT, PT doesn't work. I know it doesn't. I'm a physical therapist saying that. What works is changing your perspective just like you've done yourself, Tim. You know, you're a living example of that by the by that story. Other people can do it. I've seen it happen many times. Let's start by shifting our perspective and then, and, and and really let's shift our perspective on the world. I think we're about to go through the greatest renaissance ever. Mm-hmm. I think we're on the brink of, I I think we're on a, the brink of the, a spiritual awakening like we've never seen before. I truly believe that. Yeah, it's happening. It's, it. It. It's,
0: it's happening right now. And the people I'm talking to a lot of people all week, every week, been doing it for years. And it's like, it's happening. Almost everybody I'm talking to now is talking about meditation. 10 years Finally. ago, 10 years ago, I never even nobody, talked to, nobody I talked to even talked about it. Oh, that's yeah, woo woo BS, right? Well, dude, hey man, it was awesome having you on the show today. Um, um, probably have to have you back on to go deeper on some other stuff. So, where's the best place for people to find you?
1: All right, it was awesome coming on. You can get my audiobook on injuredtoelite.com forward slash listen and follow me on Instagram, Dave M. Meyer, d a v e m m e y e r just in time my, my airpods are about to go out on
0: me <laughs> all right cool so guys um dr David's got a book injured to elite and if you go to injuredtoelite.com forward slash listen you can get a free excerpt of the beginning of that book to get a taste of it hopefully you'll like it it'll work and and that book's for people that want to boost their athletic performance you you get injured maybe you're just a you know maybe you're just a Joe the garbage truck driver and your 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 shoulder hurts like mine. And it's bummed out because you can't go to the gym as much. But guess what? There's something else in that gym you could be doing or maybe something else at home. Maybe there's a yoga uh, that you could get into to heal yourself and you can heal yourself with thought, get into meditation. And you can also reach him at um, at Dave, D-A-V-E-M, Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. There's two M's there on Instagram. And he's also the um, host of the Injured to Elite podcast, the Injured to Elite podcast. So you guys can subscribe to that podcast And um, I also want to thank all of our listeners around the world for subscribing to this podcast. We really appreciate when you guys do that. You guys are the ripple effect, taking this information, these people that I find, these stories, hopefully there's one gold nugget that you can take away today and take action on. That's the key that you can start getting results in your life and being that shining example to your friends, your family, and your loved ones. We thank you so much. Thank you for subscribing. Please share this podcast. And until next time, change yourself, change your world, and I will talk to you again real soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening again to The Health Hero Show. I'm your host, Tim James. And remember, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon.